0: It is good to see you all. It is good to be together. Uh, I bring you good news this morning as we will be wrapping up together 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. And um, man, what a powerful, challenging uh, chapter this has been. Uh, again, several of you all have uh, texted me and called and emailed with uh, incredible words of encouragement, left notes. Uh, And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I actually had uh, one in our congregation who told me it was okay to share this with you all this morning. Uh, But I had one who uh, said, Hey, Pastor, good news. I read ahead to the end of chapter seven, and I am praying for you because I don't even know where to begin on how to unpack uh, the last portion of this chapter and so you might have already been reading ahead and you may be thinking here we go again more rules more thoughts on marriage how much more time could paul take on instructing us on marriage i mean come on didn't we already cover this already earlier in chapter seven and i got to tell you Uh, upon initial reading, and I've been reading this text uh, for quite some time. In fact, as I was preparing for uh, the study of 1 Corinthians, I circled this particular passage, verses 25 through 40, and in my notes uh, upon initial reading, I said, Lord, uh, in your grace, show us where you'd like to go with this passage, because right now I don't see it. And so after much prayer, study, Uh, I believe God has an incredible word for us coming from the word this morning and I can't help but wonder if maybe the Corinthian Christians were thinking the same thing and probably saying the same thing as they were reading this letter together and reading what it was that Paul had for them. Now I want to go ahead and tell you this morning that there is uh, really probably some truth to this statement on here we go again just some more rules and thoughts. On marriage. However, I believe that as we read this text together, we're going to see that there's actually something a little more there than just Paul's thoughts on marriage, something a little more valuable than just uh, more of Paul's concerns and rules that he wants to give us on marriage. In fact, um, I almost want to describe this as as like a good story. There's a a plot within the plot, and it doesn't reveal itself until it gets to the very end. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I love a good story, and by a good story, uh, I, whether I, I'm talking about books that give us good stories, fiction books that give us good stories. I'm talking about storytellers who can verbalize good stories, and when I talk about a good story, what I mean is one where the characters are developed well, uh, there is a mystery within the story There is a plot within the plot, uh, only a plot within a plot, not so many silly stories we have today where there's a plot within a plot within a plot within a plot, and then you get confused. Like, I'm I'm not all about that kind of story. I'm just talking kind of a little more simpler than that. Um, and 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 then here's what happens. Within the plot, within the plot, there's tension, and then at just the right moment, boom, last chapter, conclusion, and then the truth is revealed. Okay, so I say all that to say this. This is why I'm a fan of a good mystery fiction. Okay, especially a crime mystery or a detective mystery. And I got to tell you, I confess this to you today. I'm a big fan of Agatha Christie. So if you've ever read Agatha Christie before, you know what I'm talking about. And we can discuss and debate the merits on her writing and whether or not she's a good writer. And if you would like to debate that with me afterwards, I will gladly meet you and tell you why you're wrong. Okay? She's wonderful. Now, Agatha Christie was a detective mystery writer who lived from 1890 to 1976. She was known as the queen of crime. She wrote over 66 books, 14 short stories, one incredible play that is the longest-running play um, in the history of plays at this point. And most of her uh, stories wrapped around two detectives. And i got to tell you, my favorite was Hercule Perrault. And if you're an Agatha Christie reader, you know exactly who I'm talking about. If not, shame on you. Read a good book. Now, as I think about her stories, I love the plot within the plot. The tension that then is released with the ultimate conclusion. And this is what happens. When you get into the last section of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you literally see Paul giving us more thoughts and more instructions on marriage and whether or not the people should marry. However, like a good story, if we look carefully at the text again, I believe that we begin to see that Paul is actually writing about something bigger than marriage. I believe that he's beginning to write about something that's of more value, and really it's been right in front of us the whole time. And if you're not paying attention to what it is that you're reading, you probably missed it. So let's read our text together and see what it is that Paul is writing about this morning. Now, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, and I want to ask if you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now, this is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, writing to the Corinthian Christians, And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has, and it has to be, then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. What a mouthful we have before us today. Now i got to tell you again, upon initial reading, you probably read through that and said, what is Paul talking about here? And maybe you missed kind of Paul's central point. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. So if you're wondering what that point is, don't worry, we're going to get to that point in a moment. However, I want to broad stroke this for us for a little bit so we can kind of pick up on on really what generally Paul is talking about. You see, Paul has now turned his attention to those who are engaged and plan to be married. Now, Paul does acknowledge that this word is not directly from historical Jesus, meaning the teachings of Jesus Christ directly. However, he acknowledges again that his faults are rooted in the word that comes from Jesus and the word that can be found from the word of God that we see earlier. Now, Paul stresses again that people should remain single. However, if they desire to marry, Paul says this, go ahead and marry. Now, When we look at this text, Paul actually gives us probably a new and bigger reason for people to remain single. And maybe you picked up on it in the text, maybe you didn't, but here Paul gives us his eschatological view um, in mind in terms of the study of the end times and what it is that he believes is coming. You see, Paul believes that the return of Christ is near and therefore we should live in such a way that reflects The end is coming. So, yes, Paul does give us instruction on marriage, but it's with the end times in mind. So, what we see Paul doing is he actually builds upon what we saw last week when we discussed that all that matters is that we ultimately remain in Christ and what it is that Christ has called us to. And yet this week, Paul's going to take it one step further in our passage to give us more of the why, and that why is this because the appointed time is near. So let's jump back into our text and see what Paul has to say about how we should now live in light of the fact that we are living in the last days and how we can now know that we are getting closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul teaches us in verses 25 through 28 first. He says that we know we are getting near the end because we are living in impending distress. Now, before we go any further, I want you to hear me out for a moment. I am not one who worries about the end because I know that my eternity is secure in my faith in Jesus Christ who is my Savior and Lord. I'm also not one of those who turns on the news, which by the way, I still enjoy watching the news. I'm not a person who turns it on though and sees all the doom and gloom and then says, as Christians, we just need to lock it down because there's no need for us to do anything else. The end is near, clearly. Have you seen people fighting at Walmart recently? However, I would agree with Paul that the coming of Jesus Christ is much closer than we think. The coming of Jesus Christ is probably closer than we would anticipate. In fact, we have been living in the last days since the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now I want us to know that Paul teaches the same thing when you look at verse 25. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now Paul teaches us that he is speaking to those who are promised to be married. So now we get the idea of who the audience is. This is those who are engaged, who haven't experienced an intimate relationship with their spouse. They are a first-time married couple. Paul then teaches and tells the Corinthian Christians that this particular teaching is not directly from Jesus, but is based upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. So what Paul tells us is, look, I am giving you a word that may not be directly from the Lord, but it's based upon what it is that he has already taught us about marriage. Now Paul then acknowledges that the words that he is speaking of and that he is teaching can be trusted because of the Lord's mercy that has been poured out upon him. In other words, Paul is establishing that he is speaking as one who has a relationship with Jesus. And not just one who has a relationship with Jesus, but as one who can speak with authority because of the call that has been given to him Directly by Jesus Christ. And therefore, what Paul writes about in this moment can be trusted by the Corinthian Christians. He goes from there in verse 26 and says, In light of these things, he says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. You see, here we get Paul's view on what engaged couples should be doing. Paul says, in light of the present distress that you're living under, you should remain single. Now, this would seem harsh uh, to a couple who might have been engaged. In fact, you, you might have been a couple hearing this for the first time, and, and you may be thinking at this moment, wait a minute, is Paul being harsh here and, and asking us to call off our wedding? I don't think that's what Paul's doing at all. In fact, if that's what we begin to believe about this text, I think we're missing the point of what it is that Paul's trying to say. In fact, he tells us why he feels this way. He says, because of the present distress. That's the phrase that I would underline in verse 26. Now, some have taken this word to mean that Paul was talking about the famine that had spread throughout the land and was ultimately now impacting Corinth. And so people were beginning to worry, how can I not only feed myself, but how can I now feed this family that is under my care? But that's not at all what Paul had in mind. Again, Paul was thinking about his own eschatology. In other words, he was thinking about his own thoughts of the end times. You see, Paul was thinking about the time that existed between the ascension of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And Paul believed, like we do today, that the second coming of Christ was near, as if the Lord was standing at the door himself, ready to bust through. And so what Paul was doing in this moment was he was encouraging the believers in Christ, those who were engaged, those who were single, he encourages them to remain single. And with the end in mind, with the end being near, he now calls them to focus on the work that the Lord has called them to do. Now again, let's pay attention to this because Paul's not calling off weddings. He's not calling for the ending of, of relationships and calling for, for brokenness in relationships. In fact, he keeps he explains this more as we keep reading. Look again at verse 27 and 28. Paul says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Notice again what Paul is teaching the Corinthian Christians. He says to them, listen, if you are married or if you are pledged to be married, he says this, go for it. Get married. Paul then says that he would He would rather the Corinthian Christians remain single. However, because of the impending return of Jesus Christ, he says this is why you should remain single, so that you continue to focus on your work for the Lord. However, because of the impending return of Jesus Christ, this should not be the reason why you seek a divorce from your spouse. You see, Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to focus on what mattered. And what mattered was the second coming of Christ. But he did say this, if you are married or you intend to be married, then that is okay. Because again, marriage is not a sin. Now notice that Paul is going back to what he originally taught earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when the Corinthian Christians were trying to justify divorce by saying, because I'm focused on the Lord and the work of the Lord, I now need to leave my spouse. And Paul again says that's not okay. But Paul does say in verse 28, he says, I do say this, that those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. I want to tell you, there's a lot of times where I sit in the office with couples who are struggling and they're like, man, I don't understand why I'm struggling in my marriage. This is unbelievable. I didn't think marriage would be this hard. And I kind of want to look at them and say, the word of God kind of told you it would be. It says it's going to be hard. It says you're going to have worldly troubles. Now, even though marriage is not a sin, Paul does acknowledge marriage is hard. Amen, Brother Paul. Thank you. But then Paul says, even with living in these last days, these troubled times, even marriage itself can add to your stress level. Now, again, Paul's not saying, listen, your your stress level is going to go up because you're married. He's not saying that, listen, your stress level is going to go up because you have a difficult spouse. But rather what he has in mind is this. Because you're married, knowing that you're living in this impending distress, knowing that the second coming of Christ is just around the corner, it's just going to be harder because now as a married couple, you have someone else to think about. And so we see Paul's desire, again, for the Corinthian Christians to remain single. However, again... If they were married, or desired to be married, or they were engaged, Paul says, pursue marriage. But understand, it will present a challenge. You see, again, Paul's desire was for the Corinthian Christians to realize that the day that they were living in, the pain, the frustration, the distress that they were experiencing, that they were feeling, they were living in these last days. They were living in these hard Times. And Paul says that is how we know that Jesus Christ will return soon. And this should be good news for the believer. You see, it's going to get harder before it gets better. It's going to become more challenging before it gets easier. You don't believe me? Read the prophecies. Study the book of Daniel. Read Revelation. You tell me how it ends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to tell you the same thing that Paul was teaching the Corinthian Christians, and that is this. Our days will be hard. Our days will be filled with stress. We will have days that are challenging. We're going to have days that are painful. And it's in those moments, I want to ask you, Do we realize that we are dealing with this stress and this challenge and this pain because the world itself is under distress? Even the world knows that the time for the return of the King is soon. And so life will be hard. It will get harder. And we will continue to see more and more distress. And here's the reality. As the challenges continue to come, it's okay. It's okay. Why? Because for the believer, it means that we are drawing closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. So if, if we can encourage one another with anything, it would be this. Stay the course, run the race, and live in hope of what is to come. Again, don't lose sight of that when we begin to deal with the stress of our life, and the challenges that the world has to offer, because it simply means that we are another step closer to the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says as much in verses 29 through 31. You see, in light of the impending distress, Paul teaches us the second point, and that is this, the appointed time has grown very short. Now, here's where we get a glimpse of of Paul's eschatological foundation, uh, in particular, in light of these instructions, which are ultimately unpacked in these verses. Verse 29, Paul says, this is what I mean. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm going to be clear with you. This is why I feel the way I feel about marriage and about divorce and about engagement. This This is why I'm challenging you with these things. He says, because the appointed time has grown very short. You see, Paul says, since Christ has come and now sits at the right hand of God, our time is now very brief. Now, a lot of people would think, wait a minute, it's been a while since the ascension. But again, time is fleeting when it comes to the Lord. In fact, Paul continues with the Corinthian Christians. And he says to them, look, constantly live in light of the end. In fact, in light of the shortened timeline, notice how Paul continues, verse 29. He says, those who have wives live as though they had none. Verse 30, those who mourn as though they were not. Those who rejoice as though they were not. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And again, in verse 31, he says, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings. Now again, If we read these three verses at face value, we would think, what has happened to Paul? He just told us to remain in Christ, and now he's telling us to abandon everything? Like, this is making no sense. This is cold. This is harsh. Why would Paul say this? But ultimately, we know this would contradict what Paul has already taught, because this is not what he taught earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, about maintaining the covenant of marriage. So what is Paul's point in these verses? Well, it's simple. Paul says, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to mourning, when it comes to rejoicing, when it comes to buying, when it comes to business itself, all of these things are temporary. They are fleeting when compared to the coming of Jesus Christ. Because only eternity with Christ will last. And so Paul encourages the believers. And he says, look, our ultimate joy and our satisfaction should not be found in the world. Our ultimate joy and satisfaction should not be found in our stuff or in our work. Our ultimate joy and satisfaction shouldn't even be found in our marriages. Now, yes, marriage is nice. Marriage is a good thing, but even marriage itself will not satisfy us the way eternity in heaven with Jesus will. Just to give you an idea, I love my wife. She is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and she deals with my stupidity on a regular basis. And I know my wife loves me, and I deal with all the wonderful things she does because I will speak no ill of her. However, I'm going to be honest with you today. If Allison were to come up here and I were to ask her, Allison, are there some days that are easier than others? She would say yes. If I were to then ask her, Allison, are there some days in our marriage where it's hard to be married? She would gracefully say yes. Hopefully in grace. Hopefully you wouldn't amen that too hard. But I'm going to tell you, we have a lot of good days. We laugh a lot, don't we? We share a lot of wonderful moments. However, here's the reality that I know, that she knows, that I know. I will never be able to provide the ultimate and full joy and satisfaction the way that Jesus Christ can in her life. And so, what do we do in our marriage? We seek to lead one another to that reminder I love you, and I care about your joy. I want you to be satisfied. But I can never satisfy you the way Jesus can. I can never give you the joy that that Jesus can offer. And so what's my goal as a husband? And I'm going to be honest, I don't do it well all the time. But my goal is to ultimately point her to the joy that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Husbands, that's what we should be doing for our wives as well. You'll be like, where's that in the Bible? Oh, I don't know. Ephesians 5. Read it. Twice. Colossians 3. Here's another good one. Wives, the same thing. We should want that for our husbands too. We want the husbands to to be filled with joy, to be satisfied, but ultimately we can't satisfy and, and fill them with joy the way Jesus Christ can. I love what Thomas Schreiner says about this point. He says this, he says, since marriage is not permanent, believers must seek their ultimate joy, not in marriage, but in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something today, married couples? If you are seeking your ultimate joy and satisfaction in your marriage, I promise you're going to fail. You're going to fail, and your marriage is going to be hard. Because your marriage will not satisfy you the way Christ can. Singles, can I say something to you today as well? Along with the married couples, can I tell you something? Getting married is wonderful. And your marriage will be wonderful. But your marriage is not going to fix you. Okay? Okay? Your marriage is not going to completely satisfy you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So if anything, what Paul is teaching here is this. Place your first desire and hope in Him. Can I say something to you if you're single today? Before you get married, because I hear a lot of singles saying, man, I'm just ready to be married, I'm ready to be married, I'm ready to be married. No, you're not. And I say that with all the grace in my heart. And let me tell you why I can say that. Because if ultimately we're not seeking Jesus Christ first, then you're not ready. You're not. I'm going to be honest. I wish somebody had taught me that before I got married. Probably would have saved a lot of arguments and heartache. But that has to be the reality for all of us, whether single or married, is that ultimately we seek Jesus first in our marriage. Now notice what Paul does here. Paul then goes from marriage to then mentioning Uh, the sorrows and joys as well. Notice in the text, he talks about mourning. He talks about rejoicing. Now, here's what Paul does. He's literally reminding the Corinthian Christians that not only is our marriage fleeting, but so are our emotions. Our emotions are fleeting. Our regular emotions, have you noticed? Our emotions change all the time. Let's just pick on, since we're talking about marriage, let's talk about love for a minute. Love itself is fleeting. fleeting. A lot of people will talk about how they're so excited about the fact they fell in love. Well, let me say this to you, and Paul would make the same argument. It is just as easy for you to fall in love, and it's just as easy for you to fall out of love at the same time. It's fleeting. In fact, Christians, let's be real for a moment. Married couples in the room, there are days where you probably have to wake up and you look at your spouse who's laying in bed beside you, and you can smell their breath, and you see their hair, and you're like, I'm just choosing to love you today. Because I'm not feeling it at the moment. Again, Paul says, recognize this. Your spouse will never love you the way that Jesus Christ loves you. Your emotions are going to run rampant. But even your emotions are fleeting when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ and the fact that He is returning soon. I mean, for Paul, since the end is coming, he says, our relationships, our emotions... Even this world, our culture, the way we live, all of it's coming to an end. Brothers and sisters in Christ, again, this is not Paul being harsh. This actually should be a word of encouragement for us as believers today. I mean, these things that we think that will satisfy us ultimately are going to fail us. Even we ourselves are ultimately going to fail one another. But what never fails us is Jesus Christ. And what's not going to fail us is that one day He is going to return. And Paul says that time is coming soon. So as believers today, let's live as if the return of Christ was coming soon, as if it was going to happen later today. And then here's the beauty of living that way, because here's the reality. Jesus is not just coming to bring an end to all things. That's not what we're taught. In fact, you look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, and he who was seated on the throne, Jesus said, behold, look, I am making all things new. Brothers and sisters of Christ, Jesus Christ is coming back. And this world and everything it has to offer, it's fleeting. The American dream is fleeting. And when he comes, he's coming to restore all things. He's coming to make all things new. And the beauty of it, the encouragement, the hope that we have is that He is coming soon. So I want to ask you this morning, how do our relationships reflect the second coming of Christ that will happen soon? But Paul's not done there. Paul says not only... Are we living in this distress that life is getting harder? And not only does that point to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming soon, he gets to verse 32 and 35, and he says this, point number three, since we are getting closer, Paul says we should not worry. I mean, again, like a good book, Paul's giving us some rules on marriage and singleness, but it's all, again, wrapped with the end times in mind. Look again at verses 32 through 34 with me. Paul writes, I want you to be free from anxieties. Huh. Really, Paul? That's the greatest word ever given. I need to tell myself this because I'm a worrier naturally. And what does Paul say? I want you to be free from anxieties. He continues. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Now notice that Paul here wants the Corinthian Christians to be free from their worries. He wants them to be free from being entangled in what the world thinks that they should desire and ultimately he doesn't want the Corinthian Christians to run the risk of losing their perspective on what is eternal. And so how does he explain this to us? He gives us the comparison of the married man and the married woman to that of the unmarried man and unmarried woman. And Paul says the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. In other words, according to Paul, this man who is unmarried, this woman who is unmarried, they are living freely in light of the Lord's coming. And so they live for the sake of the Lord, seeking to please Him, for He has little else to focus on or worry about. This is part of the reason why Paul writes to the church of Colossians, in Colossians 3, verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him." Now, by contrast, Paul writes of the married couple. And he says, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. In other words, Paul says, the married man, unlike the unmarried, is worried. He's worried about life. He's worried about the world. He's worried about pleasing his wife, which, oh, by the way, he should be worried about that. That's a good thing. But Paul says his focus is divided. Now again, just to understand the context of what Paul is talking about, Paul is speaking to the single men. He's speaking, remember his audience, this is now to the the single and the the engaged men, not the the married men, and ultimately he's reminding them again to, to keep the end in mind because again, the end is near. And so Paul says, before you step into this marriage commitment... Be careful what you begin to worry about today, because tomorrow it will be ash. Now, I want you to think about that, because I was constantly reminded of how fleeting things are in this life. I was uh, actually talking to a friend of mine not that long ago, and we were kind of laughing about a story. You see, I grew up in the, the 80s and the 90s. It's kind of the video game era. Does anybody else grow up with video games? Everybody has by this point, I think. Anyway, if you haven't, God bless you you have lived a wonderful life worry free okay but i remember going with a friend of mine to go get a video game and here's what happened back in the day this is when we still had things like blockbuster and all that wonderful stuff if you don't know what that is you missed glorious days on a friday night okay but here's what would happen we would find ourselves at a big box store that would ultimately release a game at midnight i don't know if they do that anymore because that's beyond me at this point so if they do and And that's your crowd, to God be the glory. But I remember being young and silly too, and that's exactly what we did. At midnight, a game would drop, and then here's what would happen. My friend and I were worried because we were like, we have got to get this game. Have you seen the ad on this game? This is going to be great. We need to get it. So here's what we did. We met at 1030 before the game dropped at midnight, and we did what every other good Baptist did. At 1030, we got together and we went to get food. So we'd go to places like McDonald's or Steak and Shake. Steak and Shake was right there by the big, big box store that we wanted to go to. And we sat in the parking lot. We were in the parking lot by 11. You couldn't line up outside the store, but you had to be in the parking lot. So we were trying to snake our way through to get the spot. And then it was like, open the doors. Don't worry about whether or not the car's locked. And then just run to the store, get the game. Even if it means taking somebody out, you sweep the lead. Okay, do what you got to do to get the game. We were worried about making sure that we were one of the first ones to get this game. And then here's what happened. Midnight showed up. Did we get a game? Yes, we did. No problem. It was actually easy. Everybody was very cordial. It was kind of like an after, no, after you, please no insist. No, you get that one. I'll take this one. It looks better. It's on a higher shelf. It must be ranked higher. No fighting whatsoever. We got the game, and here's what we did. Did we go home that night and play it? No, we didn't. We went to bed. Why? Because we were tired. But then here's what happened. The next day, that morning, we got up, we ate breakfast, we played the game. I had to go back to the store because we needed food in the house. Didn't think about that when we went to the big box store. Didn't have groceries, but we got the game. And then this is what has happened. I got back to that same store, and I walked by the shelf where we picked up that game, and wouldn't you know, they still had a shelf full of that game. And here I was worried about missing it. Not even 12 hours before, we were sitting there, and we were worried about missing it, and here we were not even 12 hours later, and it was still on the shelf. They literally just restocked the game. And yet, here's what happened. Eventually, that game would turn to dust. Because after six months, we stopped playing it. And we moved on to something else. Can I tell you that this is what Paul says will happen in our own lives? The things that we deem important, apart from Christ, will turn to ash. They will turn to dust. In fact, Paul, to be be inclusive here, to show that That marriage is about unity and a husband and a wife working together. He actually includes a word for wives here. And he says this to the wives He says, Wives, listen, don't be worried about the worldly things. Because the wives, in the grand scheme of this world, the stuff that you're worried about, they are temporary to what is coming. Even when it comes to our own kids. The time that we have with our children is temporary. And here's the reality as parents. We are called to be faithful stewards of the time that God has given us with our kids. Don't take it for granted. Because even that time is fleeting. You don't believe me? Read the word. You still don't believe me? Find a grandparent in the room. Ask them. Coming back to the text, Paul continues to encourage the Corinthian Christians in verse 35. He says this, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what's Paul asking here? What does God want? He wants to increase your joy. He wants to encourage you to maintain your devotion and not get lost in what the world says should be important. Why does Paul say this? Because Paul wants the believers to live in light of the future, to live in light of what is coming, to live in light of the new world that is coming at the return of Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves in getting back to point number three is this, what are you worried about? And not only what are you worried about, but here's the question. Is it worth it to be worried about that thing? Is it worry to be worried about whatever it is that you're worried about in light of the second coming and the future that now awaits us? I mean, here's a reality. If we, if we allow our gaze to continue to be fixed upon what is to come, to be fixed upon Christ and His return and what it is that He has called us to, our perspective will change. When we fix our eyes, upon Jesus, and the hope that can be found in Him, and the fact that one day He will return, here's what will happen. Worry will fade. And joy and satisfaction will ultimately be placed upon Jesus Christ, which is where it belongs. This gets to our fourth and final point that Paul has for us this morning in verses 36 through 40. Paul says, in light of the second coming... In light of the second coming, remain as you are. Now, again, to recap what's happened so far, we've covered a lot of verses. Paul is teaching on what single and engaged couples should be doing and living in light of their upcoming weddings. And like a good book, we see that there's a plot within a plot. And Paul's focus is actually not on marriage itself, but rather it's a focus on the end times. And so here's what Paul has done. He's called the Corinthian Christians to realize that we are living in immediate distress. We are living in hard times that are only going to get harder. We need to realize that because of these these hard times, the second coming is closer than we may think, and thus as believers, knowing that Christ will return, we should not worry. And then this is what Paul does. He picks back up on where we left off a week ago in our passage to tell the corinthian christians to remain as you are or better yet remain in jesus christ because he alone has you verse 36 paul here again reminds the engaged couples that being married or getting married is not a sin he rather would just want them to bear in mind of what is coming and to keep their relationship in perspective of what christ has already promised so he says to them let them marry why because it is no sin. However, read verse 37. Paul says that if you can keep your desires under control, if you can keep your heart firmly established, then you will do well. Again, for Paul, he desires, in light of the coming of Christ, for all people to remain single so they can fully commit their lives and work to Christ. However, again, he says, if you are engaged, it is not a sin for you to be married. Now again, Paul is reminding not only the engaged couples but the married couples one more time your marriage is not a sin don't throw it out simply because you want to be devoted to the lord but rather in light of your devotion honor your spouse as if you were serving the lord in fact Paul's going to affirm both the married couple and the single when he says in verse 38 so then he who marries is or so excuse me so then he who marries is betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Again, Paul tells us being married is a good thing. It's not a sin. But if Paul could encourage singles in any way, shape, or form, he says this, it is better for you to be single because in your singleness, you can commit more of your life to Jesus Christ without distraction and without having to consider a spouse. So, again, let me say to you in the room if you're single today, stop worrying about who you will marry. God has that under control. What He wants you to focus on is what you can do for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you're married today, stop questioning your marriage. Stop looking at God, praying, what is wrong with this person that you have given to me? Stop blaming this person for your problems. But rather see your marriage as an opportunity to point your spouse and your children to the glory that is found in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Serve your entire life with the hope in what is coming, which is the return of Jesus Christ. Paul even says it and sums up this entire chapter in verse 39 when he says, a wife is bound to her husband. Now again, this passage would also apply to husbands, to their wives. Again, Paul is refuting the thought that as Christians with new faith, the Corinthians should divorce. That's what they believed. And so Paul was refuting this word. He says, no, remain as you are. You are called to Christ, therefore serve Christ, whether single or serve Christ through your marriage. At the same time, he offers this qualifier for remarriage. He says, if the husband dies, then she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Again, Here's another example of when it's okay for husbands and wives to be remarried. But notice the phrase, only in the Lord. Meaning, that if remarriage is possible, Paul teaches, then it should be to one who is of like-minded faith. In other words, your spouse is not a project. They should be one who encourages you and equips you to grow in your faith in the Lord. Verse 40, Paul then comes back to his point and says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Talk about an interesting ending. Now again, Paul does not call marriage or remarriage evil. He gives his point on marriage and singleness. But he also reminds them that there is so much work left to be done for the kingdom. And all of us as believers in Christ have been called to that work. And then Paul closes by reminding the church of the authority with which he speaks. All of his words are based upon the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. These are not just made up words by Paul. And so Christians, we have to ask each other today. Like we did a week ago. Do we see the call to remain as we are? Do we see the call to remain in Christ? We don't need, like we talked about a week ago, we don't need to change our status. We don't need to change our situation in order to be faithful servants of the Lord. Here Paul's challenge this morning. He says this, if you're married, praise the Lord and serve. If you're a widow today, praise the Lord and serve. If you're single today, praise the Lord and serve. You see, in the midst of our relationships and our service, we should never lose sight of the one who is coming. Jesus Christ is coming soon. And so Paul asks the question, and it's the question for us today. Are we ready for the second coming of Christ? And how are we using our very moment in life to point people to the hope that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And as we close out chapter 7, we see that Paul had a lot to say in these verses, and we just unpacked a lot. But to sum it up, Paul says singleness was meant to be celebrated. At the same time, marriage was meant to be celebrated as well. And so as believers, we should desire to marry people of like-minded faith Because we now live in the hope of the one who is coming. And he is the only one who can provide, sustain, and satisfy us in a way that no other person can. Yet in the midst of this message on marriage, Paul calls the church to keep the main thing the main thing. Which is this, live in light of the fact that the appointed time is near. We do this by reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. We do this when we realize because of the hope that we have in Christ, we have no need to worry. We can do this when we realize how close Jesus Christ is and ultimately when we can look at our lives, see our hardships through the lens of the impending return of the King knowing that we can say no matter how hard it gets, Jesus Christ is still enough. And he has come. So whether in singleness or in marriage, how are you living? Are you living today worried about accomplishing what the world calls important? Are you living today worried about the American dream, hoping to get married, to have 2.5 kids, which is two children and an animal? Some of you have shattered that, by the way, both in children and animals. Or are you living to satisfy Christ? Knowing that in Him, you are completely satisfied. Are you satisfied with where Christ has you? Enjoy knowing that you now belong to Him. Knowing that He has called you to keep His eyes fixed upon his return. Faith, family, no matter your status, no matter your situation, realize that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And my prayer is that we could echo the words of John in Revelation 22, verse 20, when he says, amen, come Lord Jesus. May that be our hearts to cry today. I want to leave you with a quote from a brilliant theologian and preacher, John Calvin. He says it this way, The mind of a Christian ought not to be taken up with earthly things or to repose in them. For we ought to live as if we were every moment about to depart from this life. So let's live with the end in mind, knowing that our story doesn't end in death. It ends with life eternal, with Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, let's live every day as if the appointed time is needed. To God be the glory, for he is coming soon. And that is our hope. Let's pray together. May your glory know.